0: Thank you. guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, 2 Samuel 15 and 16. I mean, let's just face it. This week just ranks right up there with uh, the book of Leviticus. I mean, the things that we're talking about, it's graphic, it's detailed, and it always has to do with, like, bodies. You know, there's just a lot here. And here's the crazy thing is, just when you think you're out of that, at the very end of our teaching today, oh yeah, it actually comes to a, like, it reaches a height like all of the other ones are like whoa that one doesn't even compare to this one so just so you know it's coming again all right but now here's here's where we're at Second Samuel thirteen okay we talked about uh, Amnon the half brother raping his sister Tamar Absalom gets mad waits two years, his dad doesn't do anything, Absalom comes in, and what do you know? He has his servants kill Amnon when he, they're coming out to a sheep party. Okay, that's pretty much what it comes down to. But then in uh, 2 Samuel 14, which we did not get to at all, Absalom, he's, he, he, he's gone for how many years? Anybody remember how long he's gone for? Three years. Three years. David is mourning every day in this process. As he's mourning every day, finally, Absalom and David, their relationship is restored. But then in 2 Samuel 15, here's where it gets weird. It's just like the family drama, here we go again. In fact, the first six verses, Absalom, the guy who David mourns when he leaves and has gone for three years, Absalom decides to conspire and turn against his own dad. All right, well let the drama continue. And so in fact, Absalom, this is where it gets interesting, he declares himself king. Well, that seems to be a problem. (laughs) And so I want to go to verse 14, just so we don't miss this. It says, David said to all the servants with him in Jerusalem, get up, we have to flee or we will not escape from Absalom. Leave quickly or he will soon overtake us. This is David the dad, the anointed one that's going to come. The coming Messiah is going to come through him. He's worried, and he says, he's going to heap disaster on us and he's going to strike the city with the edge of the sword. And so then it just, it's kind of like, wait, David just deserted his post. David just deserted his role that he had been given. Now watch. I want to go uh, one more, just so you know. In, in 13 through 27, David ends up fleeing Jerusalem. Okay, so this is the context to get into the point today. Absalom is a son. If Rich, if you go to that, uh, the lineage map here that we have, remember this. So Amnon, what's happened to him? Dead. He's dead, all right? So now Tamar, she was raped. She's still struggling, honestly. I mean, it, it hasn't gone well Absalom now all of a sudden rebels against his father. That's true. And so now David flees Jerusalem. This is the context, okay? He flees Jerusalem because Absalom says, hey, I, I'm going to be the king. But in 2 Samuel 18, 6 through 8, here's where I want you to understand, like, this is the big picture, okay? 2 Samuel 18, 6 through 8, then David's forces marched into the field to engage Israel in battle, which took place in the forest of Ephraim. We'll get to that uh, in a couple of days. In verse 7, it says this the people of Israel defeated by David's soldiers to slaughter. There's that vast, uh, that day, 20,000 20, casualties. Then it says in verse 8, okay, watch this, the battle spread over the entire region, okay? Uh, Absalom, obviously, there's this, it, 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 it's coming to a head, is really where it's coming with. And so here you have, I mean, how many people died? 20,000 people were slaughtered. And who was fighting each other? The Israelites. All of them are, they, family are fighting each other. Family is fighting each other. So I just want you to know, like, that's, that's where it's headed. Like, that's where it's headed. David's flee Jerusalem. They ended up killing each other, uh, like, in the sense of the soldiers. Now let's pull back to 2 Samuel 16. Okay, that's the end goal right there. I just want to show you where it's happening. 2 Samuel 16, it says this in verse 1. When David had gone a little beyond the summit, Zeba, oh boy, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth's servant. Remember, Ziba was there and he was right to, to meet them. He was right there to meet them. He had a pair of saddled donkeys loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 clusters of raisins, 100 bunches of uh, summer fruit and a skin of wine. He has all of this this stuff. He has, he has saddled donkeys, okay, that are there. M- maybe some have said, maybe some have said for David's wives, can't really prove that, loaves of bread, clusters of raisins, fruit, which some would say maybe with fresh figs. Here you have a skin of wine. And then the king says this, why do you have these in verse two? Like, why do you have these? And Ziba says, well, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride. Uh, The bread and the summer fruit are for the young men to eat. And the wine is for those to drink who become exhausted in the desert. It's kind of interesting. It's super interesting. In verse three, so then here's what the king asks, And I love this question. Where is your master's son? The king asked. Why, he's staying in Jerusalem, Ziba replied to the king. For he said, today, the house of Israel will restore my father's kingdom to me. I think Ziba is really what he's hoping is, is that Absalom would help Mephibosheth um, back into the throne. Remember, Mephibosheth is in the line of what? Saul. So maybe, maybe there's something there that's Ziba's trying to set it up. Just Possibly. And then the king said to Ziba in verse 4, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is now yours. I bow before you, Ziba said, may you look favorably on me, my lord, the king. Now in verse 5, okay? So just so you know, there's a lie here that just took place. There's a false accusation about, hey, uh, Mephibosheth, right? About who he is and what he's doing. And really, what is Ziba doing? Like, it's all a setup here. And just make sure we don't miss that, Okay. And in verse 5, and we'll come back to that in a little bit, when King David got to, oh, here we go, Bahurim, a man belonging to the family of the house of Saul, was just coming out. His name was Shimei, son of Gera. Now, just so you know, so he's not to be confused with Shimei, but Shimei. Shimei, son of Gera, And here's the deal with Shimei. At first, you'd think he might have a condition that just yells and screams a lot. He doesn't. He just. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Shy Me just doesn't like David. And here's what he's doing. He's yelling curses as he approaches. Hey, you! Hey, you blimp! Like, that's all he does. And after he's just cursing him at the same time, guess what? He's throwing stones! What? Wow, I wasn't prepared for that. I, I mean, I was because I threw things at you. Well, those are animal crackers. So here's the deal. This man, Shime, Okay. He, for some reason, I think this deserves a picture. This is Shime, And this is David. Okay. So everywhere David goes, Shime is swearing at him and <clears throat> throwing rocks at him. Okay. But it's like everywhere David goes, Shimei is there. So Shimei said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you worthless murderer. So he calls David a murderer. Kevin, this is a summary, I think this is important. Why does he call David a murderer? Because he murdered Uriah the Hittite. He's right. He says he threw stones at David, and in verse 6 and at all of the royal servants. Okay, so not only is he throwing them at David, but all of these stones are being thrown. <laughs> They're all taking one for the team. It says, it says that he threw stones at all the royal servants, the people and the warriors on David's right and left. This is actually really interesting to me because so here you have royal servants. Who else is being thrown at? People. The people and who else?: Mighty men The mighty men. The mighty men let one man shy me curse at them and throw stones at them. One guy. One guy throw stones. It's a lot of stones, but man, it's, it's a lot. And this guy doesn't stop. In fact, in verse seven, it says, "Shimei as he cursed? Get out, get out, you worthless murderer.'" In verse eight, the Lord has paid you back for all the blood on the house of Saul, in whose place you became king, and the Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. Look, you're in trouble because you're a murderer. And so, Shimei is just, look, I know he's, he's speaking curses, so this is not of the Lord. He's throwing stones at the anointed. I know this isn't of the Lord. But it's weird, you guys, when, when you get criticized, it's weird when people have hard things to say to you. There's always some, it feels like there's always some little thing in there. You're like, yeah, I, I need to work on that. Like, oh yeah, I get, I get that. Like, that's kind of the mentality. And so it says in verse 9, Then Abishah, son of Zeruah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over and cut his head off. Well, that's, that sounds like a good game plan. Here's what's interesting. And just so you know, Ebeshah, I don't think he's on here. He is actually, he's, is he? he's a nephew. Warrior under Zeruiah. Yeah, so he is a nephew of David. So here you have, thanks, he's a great warrior under Zeruiah. Uh, so he is the son. So a nephew is like, dude, I, I want to take care of this. You are my uncle. You are my lord. You are my king. Let me take care of this. And the king replied, sons of Zeruiah. Abishai, Joab, and Ashel. Okay, When he addresses the sons of Zariah, do we agree on anything? <laughs> he curses me this way because the Lord told him, curse David, therefore who can say, why did you do that? So at this point, does David think that Shimei, Shimei is from the Lord? He does, won't you think? He would think that this curse, that these stones, all of this is actually, apparently, because the Lord told him to do this. This is David's mindset. I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, let me read this in verse 11. Then David said to Abishai, remember his nephew and all his servants, Look, my own son, my own flesh and blood, intends to take my life. Absalom is what we're talking about, right? How much more than now this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse me. The Lord has told him to do it. Whoa. Mighty men sit down. Royal servants sit down. People relax. My nephew, relax. This guy's going to curse me, and the Lord told him to. That's what David truly believed. Anybody, at this point, did anybody have a check in their spirit? Like, I don't know if this is... I mean, do you guys think at this point? So I was reading this. It's the first time through. I I almost went back and just slowed down and read it again because I'm like, David's on the run. David, this guy comes out of nowhere, seemingly. But he's kinda speaking what Nathan's had and David's kinda had a run here of not talking to the Lord on a regular basis, so he's he's facing the consequences. And that's what he thinks. Let's keep going here if we can. Verse twelve Perhaps the Lord will see my affliction and restore goodness to me instead of Shime's curses today. In other words, maybe God God will flip it that would be the hope, that God would flip the snare. So David and his men proceeded along the road as Shime was going along the ridge of the hill opposite him. And as Shime went, he cursed David and threw stones and dirt at him. So not only did it just do it for a little bit, but he did it the whole time. And oh, by the way, what else did he do? He threw dirt. So now you got little dirt, little pieces of sand in your face, right? You have stones, and he just keeps doing it. And, oh, by the way, the curses. I know that's what I have here, but that's what that is. He is sending curses on David. Scripture continues on in verse 14. Uh, Actually, Kevin, can you do me a favor? Can you go to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7? 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Uh, Scripture says this, and we're going to go to uh, verse 10, just so you know especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Look here. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Verse eight, concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. Verse nine, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. Verse 10, so I am pleased with weaknesses. I'm pleased in weaknesses, in insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's a really good chance you could just view David's thorn in the flesh as shiny. As David is walking, as the royal saints are walking, here you have a guy throwing stones at you. Here you have a guy throwing dirt at you and then constantly swearing at you. The question is, how do you, how do you respond to that? You know, I was I was telling uh, my wife yesterday, I had a guy uh, come to the table and he had a list of items of things that he really didn't necessarily care for, you know, about, about me or our ministry. And not that that's normal, but nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to hear that, let alone walk through it. Now, was I offended by it? Absolutely not. But when you hear those things, you have to find your strength in the Lord and not in those things and not in what they're saying, and not in the document that he has listed up for this conversation. So all of these different things. It just says, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am in these things, I am in Christ. It doesn't matter if it's weakness or insults, rocks, dirt, persecution, pressures. I think that's the point of what we want to see, is that just remember as you're going through life, as you're following the Lord, you might have those thorns. You might have those things that just, like, go away. But they might not, just so you could depend upon Him and really not yourself. And maybe that was the case even for, for David. And it says in verse 14, Kevin, if you'll go back to 2 Samuel, it says, Finally the king and all the people with him arrived exhausted, so they rested there. Well, yeah, they're super exhausted. And they're super exhausted because they had a guy throwing stones at him, a guy cursing at him, just mentally hearing that all the time. And then in verse 15, now it says, Absalom, remember the son, and all the Israelites, they came to Jerusalem. Ahithophel was also with him, okay? Now, he was a counselor of David. Now, here's what I love about him. He would give this advice that was at times considered like the oracle of God, okay? He was the father of Eliam. And here's the one that you need to know. He's the grandfather of Bathsheba, okay? So the grandfather-in-law of David is Ahithophel, okay, was also with him. So when David's friend, Hushai the Archite, okay, came to Absalom, the son, Hushai, this is David's friend. Remember that, okay? David's friend. Let me just write this up here, okay? So Hushai, because there's a lot of names here. He is David's friend, right? Right? David's friend. It says that he came to Absalom. Okay, so Hushai came to Absalom. And here's what he said. Long live the king. Long live the king. Um... Whose team is he on? According to this verse, whose team is he on? Looks like Absalom's. It does look like that. But he never says Absalom's name. He never says King Absalom. He never says Absalom. So just keep that in the back of your mind as you're reading this text. And in verse 17, Absalom wants to know, is this your loyalty to your friend? You say, long live the king. Is this your loyalty to a friend? And why didn't you go with your friend? Absalom asked Cushai. Not at all, Hushai answered Absalom. I am on the side of the one that the Lord, the people, and all of the men of Israel have chosen. I will stay with him. It's pretty vague, isn't he? This whole thing is super vague. And so then, fine, okay, this is what he says in verse 19. Furthermore, whom will I serve if not his son? As I served in your father's presence, I will also serve in yours. So now he's becoming a little bit more clear, wouldn't you say? Just a little bit. I've served your father. Why wouldn't I serve the son? I will also serve in yours. So I'm I'm here. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, give me your advice. What should we do? And Ahithophel said this to Absalom, sleep with your father's concubines. Well, he left to take care of the palace. When all of Israel hears that you've become repulsive to your father, everyone with you will be encouraged. (laughs) Remember how I told you we thought that it was with Bathsheba and David was pretty, pretty, pretty rough. And then here you had a brother, half a brother raping his half sister Tamar. It's going to get a lot more drastic. You just had David's friend, Ahithophel, tell his son, sleep with David's concubines. And oh, by the way, would you do it in the public so everybody can see? 2 Samuel 15, 16 says this, Then the king set out, and his entire household followed him. But look what he did. He left behind ten concubines to take care of the palace. So Hushai just told Absalom to have sexual relations with ten concubines on the roof of the palace. Wasn't it Othniel? Thank you, Kevin, for that. I didn't write his name down. Uh, Ahithophel... So Hushai doesn't really make his allegiance clear. Now Ahithophel says, I don't know how to write this, sleep with 10 concubines on the roof. Probably the same roof that David had his affair with Bathsheba. So in 1622, Absalom, he's not going to mess around. They pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof and he slept with his father's concubines. Look at this. In the sight of all Israel. So who saw Absalom have sex with 10 women? All. All Israel. I don't know how much more detailed and graphic we can get in the scripture. And oh, by the way, Ahithophel told him to do this. Now, here's the craziest thing of this whole thing. Do you want to see prophecy come to fruition? And it doesn't mean it has to be a good prophecy. But can you go to uh, 2 Samuel 12, verse 11 and 12? Because I'm going to throw in another name now here. Nathan. This is what he prophesied. This is what the Lord says. Remember, we didn't talk about this, but after David and Bathsheba's sin, Nathan then confronted David and said, there's going to be consequences because of all of this stuff. So he says, this is what the Lord says, I'm going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your before your very eyes, and he will sleep with them publicly. Verse twelve. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel and in broad daylight. You know what that is? Broad daylight. <laughs> Absalom decides to sleep with his dad's ten concubines. This right here was a fulfillment of prophecy to announce, as weird as this even sounds, David's sin. It's kind of the whole chapter. The whole chapter. The one thing I don't understand about people that are in sin, is like the more and more, it's like people are like, they don't hide it anymore, they announce it to everybody. And Absalom, right here in front of the entire country, sleeps with ten women. And in verse 23, it says, Now the advice Ahithophel gave in those days was like someone asking about a word from God. Such was the regard that both David and Absalom had for Ahithophel's advice. Kevin, you're frowning here for a second. What do you think? It's an interesting, like, closing verse for this chapter because, I don't know, it sounds like weird advice that he's yes. just give Absalom. It sounds horrible. It doesn't sound godly at all. But according to this, they viewed it as from the Lord. Would you guys agree? It was like someone asking about a word from God and such was a regard that David and Absalom had whenever they went to Ahithophel's advice. So when they got at Els advice, they weren't even going to question whether or not it was from the Lord. That was their view. That was their perspective. Man, what do you do with this stuff? I'm going to give you a couple points as we, uh, as we kind of just wrap up here. Okay, I'm going to give you three points. I lost all my colorful pens, so we're just going to keep using the green. God, Lord, thank you. More, Lord. So here's what I want to do. When the enemy is coming at us with lies and accusations, when the shy are coming at us, when I know Ahithophel's, they viewed this as like this was from God, but sometimes even when that advice comes out, you're just like, ah, this just feels off. Like when the enemy is trying to get us, okay, to buy into these these things like, oh, yeah, maybe I am a murderer. Oh, yeah, maybe my identity is as an adulterous person or maybe my identity is as a, a prideful person. Like that's what the enemy wants us to believe in. These lies and these curses. And I promise you, He's constantly throwing them at us every single day. Well, first of all, here's what you have to do. You have to resist the lies of the enemy. Resist the lies of the enemy. Uh, John eight forty four, 44, Kevin, if you'll go there for me. John eight forty four, 44 just says this. And I, I think this actually comes from... Um, uh, I believe uh, it's one of the commentators. Uh, I, I didn't come up with this, just FYI. <laughs> I think it's weird to be. John eight forty four says, You are the father of the devil. You are of your father, the devil. And if you want to carry out your father's desires, he was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because he, there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of liars. The enemy will constantly be pouring into you saying this about your life. And the question is, is, do we buy into that lie? And I think when you see people, especially man, that are giving into suicide, like they've bought into this lie: "You're not worth it. There's nothing valuable about your life." That—that's what I'm talking about. These things that are coming at you, or maybe you don't feel good about yourself physically, and so all of a sudden you buy into these lies. You know, you're you're too uh, you're too skinny, you're too chubby, or <clears throat> you're not dark enough, or you don't you're not strong enough, or you're not tall enough. Like whatever whatever lies that that. If you start buying into those, that's not your identity. And you're you're believing Satan rather than the Lord saying, no, you're a child of mine. You're an adopted child of mine. And this is the mentality. And so the way you resist the lies of the enemy is you have to know the father's voice. And I'm not going to write it down there, but so that you can distinguish the father's voice from the lies of the enemy. John 10, 27. I think this is a really, really fun picture of, of how he speaks to us. And John 10, 27 it says, My sheep, now look at this, my sheep hear my voice, just as a shepherd calls the script. <laughs> I just stepped on a cracker. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When you know the Father's voice, you'll start walking it out. You'll actually be obedient enough based on the Spirit of God to walk out this next step. So when churches and congregations and teachers and preachers and evangelists don't integrate the Holy Spirit from the Word of God, I'm telling you guys, then of course people are going to buy into the lies of the enemy because they don't even know that they can hear the voice of the Lord. They don't even know that they can hear from the Holy Spirit. Last one I'll just say is this. Once you know the Father's voice, You can walk confidently in your position, and I'll put in Christ. Once you know the Father's voice, I mean, you can walk it out. And you can actually walk with, like, I have nothing to fear. I mean, can we go to Colossians 2, verse 14, please? Colossians 2, verse 14. It just says this. He erased the certificate of death with its, with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed, can I just say this, over the curses. He triumphed over the uh, over the stones. He triumphed over the dirt. He triumphed over these lies he triumphed over them by Him. In verse 16, then it says this, Therefore, don't let anybody judge you in regard to food or drink in the matter of festival or new moon or Sabbath day. Verse 16 doesn't necessarily apply so much. But for me, it's, it's walking in a position. It's embracing this position of what God has done for us already. Jesus took away the enemy's weapon. Accusation. Accusation. He took it away. I think a lot of us are in this first part. We're dealing with the lies of the enemy. And I would just say, once you start to embrace the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life, you'll begin to walk out that anointing in 1 John John 2.20, I believe it is. Uh, 1 John 2.20, I think, Kevin. You'll begin to walk out this anointing with such confidence that no curses, no stones, nothing from the enemy will ever face you. And that's what David has to get to the point of, is walking out this anointing, regardless of what comes his way. All right, guys, that is 2 Samuel 15 and 16. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks.